Hello and welcome to the AA Ireland podcast. I'm Paddy Common. And I'm Anna Cullen. In this episode, we talk to a legend from the Irish motor business, Aidan Doyle, on the eve of his retirement. And we learn all about his career from Opel to Kia via the FAI. Aidan is a great storyteller, so sit back and enjoy this one. AA patrols are trained mechanics and fix 8 out of 10 cars at the roadside, meaning you can continue your journey and can control your breakdown costs. AA personal cover means you're covered in any car, even when you're not the driver, meaning you have the flexibility of switching drivers at ease. You can download the AA app. It's the fastest way to report a breakdown. It pinpoints your exact location and you can track your AA patrol's progress while you wait. To find out more, go to the AA.ie. So we're joined this week by what I like to call PR guru, Aidan Doyle. Um, Aidan is a legend in the PR motoring world and and Aidan is bowing out this year. He's retiring, Aidan. So um, thanks for joining us on the show. Delighted to have you, Aidan. You're very welcome. Delighted to be here. So look, obviously, um, later on this year, you are you are stepping away from, from your long career in, in Kia and I will obviously talk about the other companies that you worked for before I was on um I was on Dara Otuma's podcast there last night and he was he'd, he'd heard that you were coming on he was delighted delighted to hear some Lovely of the story. stories um so look take us back take talk us through a how you got into this crazy mad PR world and you know where where the beginnings were it's mad it, it look it's purely by accident uh, I did an arts degree and even to this day, people who do arts degrees having a, a notion what they're going to do with themselves. And and it was no different uh, 42 years ago when I exited UCD with a, a degree in history and politics. Oh, and a, a year later with a higher diploma in education, which qualified me as a, as a secondary teacher, but which I basically did a, a training year in Clash de Wera and I... Un- chained my bicycle uh, in the June the following year and said that's me in teaching I won't be back there um, but as they say in Clostewer so I basically did what arts graduates did you know a bit of this a bit of that um, worked as a merchandiser in Coca-Cola um, and did the civil service exams uh, AO third secretary the usual and at the time I applied, I saw, oh, and then I ended up, sorry, Paddy, I ended up in uh, the precursor of the National College of Ireland, which was the National College of Industrial Relations. It was based on the grounds of Gonzaga College in Ranla, run by the Jesuits. And it was basically uh, a place where the trade union sent their representatives to be trained in industrial relations and the personnel industry, which is um, personnel management was the the artists now known as HR uh, and I did a course there and I, I ended up in Semper Tire Factory for about 12 weeks learning uh, that trade and that's how I got into the motor industry I applied for a small ad in the Irish Times okay. a guy called Ken McDade was looking for an assistant in he was the PR and uh, personnel manager in General Motors which was based um, in Pembroke Street at the time, subsequently moved out to uh, Talla and 
What year that's, is this? Either? That was 1982, July 1982. Okay. So that's when I landed purely by accident um, as the personnel and PR assistant in General Motors. It was... Uh, which was the precursor to, to Opal Ireland. Uh, and, and Ireland at the time wasn't in great shape. No, it was interest rates where it was hard to get a job. Um, but still, even with 15 or 16% interest, Paddy, you know, I got married four years later and, and had a house. Wow. You know, on a fairly modest salary of seven and a half grand a year um, so that's different times and coincidentally in the week I was off I was actually driving a van for bachelors on Banner Road in Cabra at the time he applied for the job and um, the same week I got an offer to work in General Motors I also got an offer my number came up in the, the civil service lottery and I was offered a job as an administrative officer so but you, you didn't take it's like the forty six A bus, you know. Okay, they came so once. They came they came in twos. No, you didn't you didn't that. take that. You know, and then I sort of saying, forty years later now a nice pension, wouldn't they, in a lump sum? You wouldn't have you wouldn't have I wouldn't have the crack though. No. <laughs> I wouldn't have the crack. So basically then the man who hired me went off to Germany um on an assignment three years later and then I became uh the personnel PR manager. Um, and when he came back from his assignment in Germany in 1990, uh, Arnold O'Byrne was in situ at the time and he basically gave me the marketing gig. So I worked at that marketing job from 1990 to 2001, um, left the industry for a while, uh, ended up um, working in the FAI uh, when uh, our friend John Delaney was in situ and... Um, I can confirm that the, the FEI was uh, as dysfunctional <laughs> internally from an internal point of view as it was to external uh, providers. I, I, I refer to those three years in the FEI as my uh, Terry Waite years. And I had a really good friend, John McCarthy. Well, he wasn't. It was Andy Needham was his name. So we spent our three years nailed. Our, chained to a radiator. Chained to a radiator. Handcuffed <laughs> to a radiator. Handcuffed to a radiator in a muse building at the back of um, uh, the FAI in uh, Marion Square. Well, let's, look, let's take you back to, to Opal because we had um, the current CEO, Managing Director of Opal Ireland, James Brooks, on recently and he spoke fondly of you and he spoke fondly of his of his first stint at Opal Ireland and he was said he was told in this first week at Opal that you need to you need to be pals with this guy in the in Aidan Doyle in the marketing department. He says why? Because uh, he is the tickets. He's the He's fellow with the tickets. Of the tickets exactly. Look, obviously everyone knows about Opal's. You know, Opal was considered almost an Irish brand at the time because of that sponsorship. Talk to us how that sponsorship of that team came about. It's an it's it's an interesting one, and I know Arnold O'Byrne has written, uh, you know, wrote his own book, and I I I think Arnold, who I'm still very friendly with, I think should have concentrated more on the marketing side of that deal because it was extraordinary. But it, again, like everything else. A lot of that happened by accident. And basically, the FAI was in a bad way. They hired this guy, a Kilkenny guy called Donny Butler, a lovely fella. And Donny's job then, was their first ever commercial manager, was to bring in revenue. 
Um, and bear in mind that the background to the FAI, the FAI traditionally was a very working class um, sport. Um, the late, great Billy Morton, who ran Athletics Ireland, at one stage was asked, would he offer Morton Stadium for use by the, for the FAI, you know, for matches when Daily Mount Park wasn't available? And he sort of said, no, there's too many bicycles chained to the railings in Merrion Square um, for, for the Athletics to get involved with, you know, because he considered Athletics sort of middle class and and uh, got it and the the, the FAI was was very blue uh, very blue color anyway Donny was tasked with raising money and the idea he came up with was to raffle 144 cars so he basically went out to manufacturers looking for 36 cars each and there was going to be this big raffle where people um the the, the 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 family of soccer um which was a term that wasn't even invented then would subscribe £20 a month or whatever. So one of the companies they came to were, was Opel. Uh, and Arnold O'Byrne was, wasn't long in position. He came into the company in 1985 from Vauxhall and Luton. And he, the one that suggested to them, he said, well, look, should you not be going out looking for a... You don't have a, a sponsor. Um, and he was, you know, he came from a soccer background. He was sort of a... Um, very heavily involved in Luton uh, Football Club at the time and so he couldn't believe that the FAI you know why are you selling cars why aren't you selling sponsorship sponsorship um, so the deal he did with them is so we will sponsor you Opal will sponsor you and then do you, do you have any ideas of the sums involved do you it remember? was a hundred grand a hundred thousand pounds which was a lot it was, it was a lot. It was a, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a big gamble. It was a lot for them. What year are we the, talking? 84, 85? 80, this is 85. And I think the first match was in 86. Or, uh, and the the it was very cleverly constructed then because um, what happened then, Arnold did the deal. Then one of the, 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 the smartest moves he made was that Opel then went out and appointed a dedicated agency to handle it. And the, they went out for pitches. Now, one of the agencies that pitched for was an existing agency for us, and they came up with this tagline, uh, Opal, Ireland's number one supporter, that basically ended up on the back of thousands and thousands and thousands of cars. Because bear in mind at the time that uh, Opal was a sort of a top three brands. The big three brands in the country were Ford, Nissan and Opal. Uh, at the time, and Fiat then subsequently because of the success of finance and, and the Fiat fund. So they appointed an agency at the suggestion of Ray Tracy, uh, who knew these two guys, um, who were uh, Don, John Givens, who's Don Givens' brother, and a, a guy called Trevor O'Rourke. And they basically took on the thing. And what they did then is they went, they went to Denmark, to the Danish FAI. And the Danish FA, this is all very historical, but very important in the marketing sense, they just basically went to the Danish FI, who had a, a sponsorship deal with Lurepak. Okay, butter. Yeah, yeah the butter, the, the, the National Dairy Board, um, it's like our Kerry Gold. Yeah. That's their brand in Denmark. Got the contract. Uh, Xerox. <laughs> exactly, Xerox. They brought it back. And then the big thing they did, which was, the, which was a change, no international team at the time, um, they had sponsorship brand and replica shirts, but we made sure, or no, they didn't have sponsorship and replica shirts. No. So basically, Opel was the first international team 
that when people went to buy a replica shirt that had this big opal brand. I remember that because you, went, you couldn't you went buy to, a shirt without yeah, opal on it. Exactly. If you went, if you if you were a German supporter, mm. you know, the team was sponsored by Mercedes. Yeah. And you might get a little Mercedes brand at the back of a tracksuit or something. But if you went to buy a, an Ireland shirt, it was just opal. Yeah, because so you had to go sudden, to the UK to buy one without yeah. it, I remember. And of course, now, so Arnold did the deal and then the rest was luck. And then you're into Gary McCoy in Bulgaria um, and Euro 88 and Jack Charlton and 90 and 94. And all of a sudden, this sponsorship became the sort of biggest sponsorship deal ever done, sports sponsorship ever done in Ireland. And it served as a sort of template then for all that came afterwards, you know what I mean? With with when Guinness got involved and the GAA and Bank of Ireland got involved in the GAA and Vodafone got involved in rugby, you know. But that was the you know, and the and the problem is that students of marketing now only go back twenty years. But if you're sort of a, of an age, and Arnold, who wasn't a marketing professional, was actually made a fellow of the Marketing Institute of Ireland just for that. It was a stroke because you know basically somebody came in to buy cars off him. And he pivoted. Was that a gamble at the time? I mean, obviously, it was a hundred thousand pounds at the time in nineteen eighty-five. Was probably a considerable yeah. amount of money. If the Charlton era hadn't happened, would that have been possibly a, a oh, mistake? Oh yeah, it might have. Well, you see, it, it was modest money. No, it would. It, 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 every. I mean, there was no performance-based element to yeah. it. You know what I mean? Win, lose, draw, qualify or not qualify. The money was uh, the, the money. Yeah. The money was going out every quarter. But who could have envisaged so many people wandering around with opal on the front of their? Nobody could. And, and you see that the and we we capitalised on that. You know what I mean? Because everywhere you know there was. I, I remember for one of those championships, you know, the the actual team poster, which was literally printed like half a million of those were going out you know because every team photo they were wearing every team photo every squad photograph um, every training session uh, you know so so where did you come into in in the midst of all of that I was I was in the on the PR side at the very start and then I moved into the marketing side so with somebody else a couple of colleagues uh, John Young and Ian Donald did the groundwork on the sponsorship and I basically took over the sponsorship in post-Italia 90. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still involved on the PR side because we were bringing journalists away and trips and we were... Some of the some of the stuff you were doing, you know, it was so big, you know, that you could book a room with, with a few... and give journalists a few points just in Dublin, you know, and stuff it with people with opal shorts. Mm. And th- the picture desks would use that the following day you know what I mean it'd be like fans celebrate uh, and the fans would be some of their own you know lads that weren't away and of course the famous thing the famous thing about that soccer sponsorship was when it took off Conor Hoolan the, the, the very famous sports journalist was asked to remember about Italian 90 um, did he enjoy Italian 90 and he says oh. um, and in his infamous way I missed it I was away <laughs> because the crack, that whole Italian ninety phenomenon. You know, even though the uh, the travelling fans, the phenomenon was here. It was better here. Well, it was just here because it, it was here that you got the full magnitude of it. That on match days, 
there was no cars on the road. There was no fucking traffic. Yeah. Um, and I remember it. I, remember, there, there I do just remember nobody, it. Yeah. Just the road. That, and the Irish Times published a very, I don't know which match it was, but the Irish Times published a photograph, a very famous photograph, I don't know which match it was, of some fella reading the Irish Times, uh, a man on his own reading the Irish Times in Ryan's Park, 8th Street. And the reason he was on his own reading the Irish Times during the match was Ryan's Park, 8th Street didn't have a... Television. Didn't have a television. Okay. <laughs> so here was a man that was just totally... Yeah. immune to everything he just took the opportunity to go for a quiet point so in terms of it was a marketing phenomenon but in marketing terms all around that was built this narrative you know Opal Ireland's number one supporter and what what was basically the the premise was is that for what we were saying uh, either explicitly or implicitly in our communications activity was there's no such thing as an Irish car anymore but Opal is the best, next best thing. But that was not unique then, nor is it unique since, because Toyota had, you know, Dennis Mahoney, they were in, uh, they had sort of built up a sort of an Irish image, you know what I mean? And Dennis Mahoney at the time was sort of involved in Irish sponsorships. And he, I, even at one stage, he brought out a glossary of um, golfing terms, Trigelga. Okay. Ford Ireland were very, very aggressive in pursuing their... The Irish angle. The Irish heritage because they had a factory up to the sort of 90s um, in, 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 in Cork. And then you just... And sometimes with marketing, it's just a case of recycling. And you go all the way to this day and a brand that you're not unfamiliar with, Skoda. Made for Ireland. They're doing exactly the same thing. You know, and what you do is you, you you base your narrative. These are cars. They're not built for Ireland. We know that. Mm. You know what I mean? Not because, built in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> or in Ireland because um, our market's too small yeah. for anybody to build cars. You know what I mean? We're, we're sort of 1% of the total European market. So nobody is building cars specifically for Ireland. But if you come up with a very clever narrative, you know, which we just go, they've done, and mm. you, you just wrap the green flag around your communication and you get this nice cosy feeling and that's what um, Ford used to do Toyota did Opel did very very successfully you know for 10 years you know so much so that they actually hit number one for the first time ever in in I think it was in 1996 but it's a it's a it's a nice narrative yeah, and it works in marketing terms so from your Obviously, there was a crossover at some stage from you working in Opel at that stage to crossing over to the FAI. Was there a link, were the two linked? It was. It was. Look, I left the, the, the Opel for personal reasons because Opel went this familiar path of becoming. It was a fully independent. You know, for people that aren't familiar with it, the motor industry is divided into distributors, independent distributors. And what we call NSCs, national, national sales, sales companies. National sales companies. So Opel was a national sales company reporting directly into a head office in Zurich, and then what it was downgraded, and basically no longer reported into the head office, reported into a new zone office in Stockholm. And basically, you know, when you're when you're sort of young and foolish and young and foolish, you know, and when I say that in early early forties, I didn't like this new dispensation, and I sort of threw me 
<laughs> toys out of the pram a bit, you know what I mean? Okay. And, 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 and not, for me. not for me and walked away. And then, of course, there was no plan B. So the plan B ended up with doing a master's in DCU and marketing. So I had all this experience in marketing, but I didn't have the, 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 I didn't have the actual practical, the theory. I had the practical experience within the theory. And then I was back almost. My, my life thereafter mirrored my life post UCD. And one of the guys I mentioned earlier on Trevor Rock just got me into the FAI and so it, it was a good move for me um, in terms that I had the experience of it was it was it, a year we're talking we're hearing. talking about 2003 and without being big headed it was a good move for the FAI mm-hmm. but it wasn't a particularly good move for me you know what I mean and it, it did turn out I didn't know and I don't, I'm not going to say I did, it was slightly dysfunctional organisation you know, and I, I look, we, I, we were putting, it's been kids, putting kids yeah. through college. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. You know, worked for so, that. And, and, and so I, I basically bailed out of it three years later. Now, it was it was an interesting experience because at the time the FAI had taken over the league and promised a sort of a land of milk and honey, and which didn't happen. And then, of course, a few years later, as we know well, 10 years later, then the FAI is is imploding and um, Paul Rowan and Mark Toy got a great uh, yeah. got a great book out of it <laughs> which I totally enjoyed you know um, because there is there is great pleasure in reading a book and you're saying yeah I could have fucking told you that sorry <laughs> I could have told you that <laughs> 10 years ago so I just ended up back in uh, and there's a great symmetry um I arrived in town early today, uh, Paddy, and I bailed into for a cup of tea um, into Brooks Hotel just down the road, and that's where I did an interview for for Kia oh, fourteen years ago um, with James Brooks and his uh, Korean president at the time. And James will tell the story. I haven't listened to to. I know he's done a podcast with you recently, where. Um, uh, friends of his thought he was getting a job in Ikea That's exactly the line he said <laughs> he said to me uh, what, you know what do you you know you know what I'm not sure you know much about cars you know a bit but what the hell do you know about furniture, furniture yes. <laughs> and and it was the same I remember going to a headhunt agency because again it was advertised and anonymously and um, the guy then revealed the brand and my heart just sank you know, well, we have to we have to put this in context for people because people are listening to, you know, Kia, Kia EV6, World Car of the Year, European Car. Well, it's not the World the Ionic 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 is the World Car of the Year. Yeah. 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 Irish Car of the Year and European Car of the Year. European Car of the Year, exactly. But um, it's a, the Kia brand is now a very different brand to what it was 14 years ago. It is, and it was. Yeah, there's a good, there's a good, and, and the person should be named because a year prior to um, applying for the job and getting it with James, I'd I'd interviewed with another person for a job in 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 Kia, and this man sort of summoned up the the marketing the marketing strategy. He says, "What do you think of this for an idea?" Um, uh, and what was it? He said to me, he, "He did an even broader Dublin accent than I have, Paddy." Now. Just think of it, a picanto for a euro. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I said, that's grand, yeah, I'll have, no, go away and have a think about that and come back to me. So I rang him the next day and I said, you know what? You're grand. You're grand, I think. I'll, <laughs> I think I think I'll stay where I am. I think, and I was, I was in the FAI at the stage. So that's, you know, it was like the sort of, it was like the old, um, the girl on the dance floor, you know, I'm lonely, but I'm, but I'm not, <laughs> not des- that low. I'm not, <laughs> not desperate. That low. Uh, so so, so we're, we're talking 1998 here now, are we? No, we're talking 1996. 96, sorry. Okay, my maths is poor. Yeah. Um, so you're, you are, you've made the, you make the transfer eventually. I make the transfer back to the motor industry. I'm very, very comfortable um, with that. I had made in those years in, in, in Opal, you know, I'd worked very well with the dealers and I'd also worked very well on the PR side with, uh, with, with journalists. And as you know well, Paddy, because you were one of the newer breed that came into that industry, the older breed, they were just journalists. So it was very heavy duty socialising. Bring us back to that time and in particular, I suppose, to the the, the motoring journalist core now without libeling anyone or mentioning too many names, but you can if you want. Set the scene for us at the early stages of Kia and the motoring world how you know that's a that's not an easy job to ingrate a new brand into a into a skeptical audience how do you do that yeah well in, you know in fairness from a you know if you, if you go from a just the, the the macro sense journalists be regardless of the publication or the the circulation or anything in marketing terms and pr terms you know they are in that sort of communications framework um you know, where you have customers and dealers and everything. But the the press would be in that sort of cohort of what we call opinion leaders. Yeah. So in terms of Kia's strategy, both on a European basis and on um, an Irish basis, and, you know, and James and, and I, you know, in terms of the people you're communicating with, um, be it dealers or be it journalists, one of the things, if you if you aspire to being a big brand then you have to start acting like you're a big brand, you know, and the, the term, now I'm sure, it, I, I, I'm sure I'm not the, the, the first one to coin it, but I don't remember reading it. And I remember we was chatting to James at the time and we said, you know, we, we got to get into BBB, big brand behaviour. Okay. So I remember our first dealer conference that I did we fucking through the kitchen sink at it. You know what I mean? There was lights and oh, lights, camera action, and there was, you know, and we're talking. This is an audience of maybe forty people, and we're spending about sort of fifteen grand on on audio visual, you know, things that I didn't even understand. And the AV company is saying, oh, you know, we we can do pip for you. You know, said, what, what, what's pip? You know, and he said, picture in picture. You oh, know, okay, yeah. and it was this sort Which of was technology. Fancy, fancy back then. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it was fancy back Cutting then. Edge. And this was all sort of done in analogue technology. This is pre-digital uh, and cost a fortune. And likewise, we decided to adopt the same attitude with journalists. And we're saying, you know what, if we get, if we're offered a, a place on a sort of a pan-European test drive, you know, let's get as many places as we can. You know, let's not just bring one or two, you know. If we're going to have a launch at home, let's do it big, you know. Let's not register four cars and have people hanging around let's register 15 or 10 yeah. Or yeah. yeah let's register 15 or 20 and it's it's persuading that audience that small audience um, of journalists 
that you know this this brand means business now the the challenge at the time and as you're well aware is that you know this was a bit smoke and mirrors because in the end of the day you know motoring riders are product journalists so you end up writing about product so the 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 product has to meet, has to match the puff, um, and and let's be honest with it, it didn't always do so. But Kia and Hyundai, both part of the, the the same group, and bear in mind that Hyundai in Ireland, in that sort of distributor NSC um, divide, Hyundai is a distributor, um, and Kia is is an NSC. What does that mean, the, though, in terms of like what's the a distributor, a distributor. So, say a distributor like Toyota or Hyundai, um, they basically just go to the factory and buy cars. Okay. They buy them like wholesale, yeah. wholesale, and the oh, factory yeah. doesn't really care what happens to them thereafter. Okay. And as you know, Paddy, if you work for a national sales company, mm-hmm. um, you can say to the you can the NSC can say to head office, "Oh, give us uh, a thousand of them," and the NSC, because you know, you're buying them with our money. You know, what happens if you don't sell them? Or, uh, or you can have a thousand of those, but you need to take 500 of these oh, ones here. And, and that, that, that did happen. So Hyundai and Kia, both part of this big um, conglomerate, the Hyundai, um, that word I can never pronounce in Korean, in Korean, uh, Khaibal or Chai, uh, I, I don't I know. I have to it's, believe you. It's a conglomerate. Yeah. Um, so they were lucky, you know, that... What was happening then was that SUVs were starting to come into fashion, you know, and then all of a sudden, Kia had, Kia had the Sportage and the Sorento, Hyundai had Santa uh, the Santa Fe and the Tucson, yeah. and if you go back to both the, the the Sorento and the Santa Fe, they were very very basic. Um, but they ticked a lot of the other. They boxes ticked a lot though. of boxes. They, they were just you know it was a ladder chassis. Mm. Body popped on top of it, three-piece suite in the in it, and all of a sudden, and uh, maybe and seven seats. All of a sudden, people who previously were in, um, say, uh, the Renault Espace or the Opel Safira, all of a sudden, people, both male and female, the new thing in a family car was. An SUV, and this is before Nissan launched the the Cash Guy, which gave this whole thing the new crossover, a, a, a new crossover, this this a new phenomenon. So this is what the success um, of Kia was built on. You know that these two models, these SUV models, became desirable, and then on top of that, um, back in nineteen, was it? It was back around that time, 1996, 98, that Kia opened a factory in Slovakia, mm-hmm. then started producing the seed. And all of a sudden, this, these cheap and cheerful models like Rio and Picanto started improving. And then the, the, the brand became mainstream. And right up to uh, today, um, where probably the Hyundai Motor Group um they have to be you know 
after Tesla, mm. probably one of the biggest movers in, in, in EV technology. Um, and they were ahead of the Europeans in that regard, ahead of Toyota. Uh, now, we know then that Volkswagen um, and uh, the, the German brands were playing catch-up. And when they did catch-up, of course, they caught mm, up with, 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 with great effect. But, but Kia and Hyundai didn't, didn't didn't bother too much with hybrid. They've just really kind of gone gung-ho for EV and it seems to have paid off. Yes, they've gone for EV and PHEV and, you know, the Toyota in fairness, the word is that Toyota are still, you know, in in the long term are backing the the hydrogen model. Mm-hmm. But now it'll be interesting to see this is their, this, in the next couple of months, this new car, which whose name I can't remember, it's a or, funny name. They're launching a new SUV. Zay, yeah. well, they're launching a new SUV, and it'd be interesting to see. But there's another, you see, and this is the the power of of marketing. I mightn't necessarily agree with Toyota's marketing strategy, but if you do the research now, there's a the two brands that score highest for electric recall are the two T's: Tesla and Toyota. Because if you say electric often enough, then people think that a HEV is an electric car and a HEV is not an electric car. And a lot of people who traded in their their RAV 1.9 diesel for a 2.5 petrol hybrid have discovered that to their cost, you know, when they're making that extra visit a month to the... um, to the to the fuel pumps, but again, if we go back, you know, you say Irish often enough. Yeah. Oh, that's an Irish brand, you know. And if you say electric, so and it's this, and it's a, it's I mean it's it's a triumph of marketing, you know. Start your electric journey with uh, a Toyota hybrid. Electric, yeah. The word electric and electrified are two different things. Yes. Um, no, but it 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 it's it, it's 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 wonderful. But really, you know, when. When I'm looking at the the, the, the Simeway figures, you know, I don't, when I'm putting on the filters, I don't include HEV in the the electrified, you know, it's PHEV and, uh, you know, if you want to get a, if, because bear in mind that, that Toyota has such a huge car park that part, and then they stopped selling diesel. So part of their strategy was, look, these HEVs are the only show in town. Our big, we're not saving the planet. We're saving us. We have to, we have to pivot all of these um, diesel customers into a, a HEV because that's they're the only things we have to sell. Um, and if we if we make them think they're selling, they're, they're saving the planet in the in the course of that action, well and good. But it'd be interesting to see now when they start launching fully V markets. And, you know, then they're in with the with the big boys. They're in with Tesla. They're in with the Hyundai mm-hmm. Motor Group and Kia and Hyundai. And they're in with, uh, like, and they're in with Volkswagen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, but having said that, the power of the Toyota brand in Ireland... Is vast. It's huge. The car park. And you see, and bear in mind that in marketing terms, when you're talking to people about familiarity, um, a huge amount of familiarity is not based on how much money you're spending on advertising. It's based on the amount of cars that you have on the road. Mm-hmm. So there isn't a cul-de-sac in Ireland or a, or a Bahrain 
um, that doesn't have, you know, five or six uh, Toyotas in it. When I think of automotive PR in Ireland and I would concur most of my, most of the journalists I know would say there's two names that come up. There's yourself, there's Emma Toner, who's, who was ex Peugeot Parish, now Opel. You know, what you might do in the coming months or years, I don't know, you might be standing at a lectern teaching this. What would your advice be? You know, what's your your PR 101 for Maiden Doyle? What, what, how is it done right? Because most well, people would regard the, you do it very well. Well, look, it's the, it's the, it's the second letter. Relations. You know, and it's relations and it's relationships. Mm-hmm. And... I look. It's 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 a mix, Paddy, of just old-fashioned relationships built. You know, sitting beside somebody on a plane, sitting mm. with them late at night in a in, in a bar, and um, meeting them, handing out the keys, ringing them. But it's a very a huge amount of it is, and the problem that people my age now have is that we come across as slightly dinosaurs. Because we're advising people, younger people, to talk. Yeah. But they don't talk. Communication is different now, you know what I mean? And it's rapid and it's... It's rapid and it's sterile and everything. And it's, well, it, it is and it isn't. You know, like my daughter now, my daughter just sort of, she shows me some of the texts she gets from her friends and that they have on their chats, you know, or, or the voice messages, mm. you know, that they're sending each other. And they're hilarious yeah, you know yeah, what I mean yeah, yeah. I'd be proud of the yeah. Bon Mots or the Bon Mots that these the, the, these young people and we just have this we have this sort of stereotype that these young people can't talk now but I always feel that you know picking up a phone is is, is, is a great way to do things but go back to you you know the, the 101 is that don't treat the, 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 the danger always is in, in just in practical public relations is that we set up a distribution list, you know, a BCC list, mm-hmm. and that that's the only time. That's the only touch point. That's the only. That's your only touch point is that you're sending out communications, and you know, and that's the only. That's your only communication, you know. So my feeling is that always, and it's a very you know particularly, particularly in Ireland, it's a small country, you know. So. Do you think some of the some of the uh, arts are being lost or will be lost? You know, the arts of, you know, be it public relations for Kia or, you know, washing machines or whatever. Do you think there is a danger that some of those softer arts are, are being lost? I, I, I think so. You know what I mean? Because what can happen is that, in the in, 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 in the macro they'll be lost because people will say, Look, I don't need to have relationships with all these people, you know what I mean? And you'll just hire um a PR agency and the PR agency's job will just be to spin stuff to key mm-hmm. key media, you know what I mean? So we know every time we consume it's always a it's always a, a curiosity of mine, you know, particularly when I'm listening to to radio. Um, and I'm sort of saying, there's two hours radio. How much of that w- was spun to me? Did, should the should the PR agency, if a PR agency has been re- responsible for a half an hour of that content, I'm always saying they should be on the fucking credits. But, but <laughs> At the end, you know. Conversely, <laughs> how how has journalism changed? 
journalism, it's, 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 it's funny now, I was having that conversation, you know, it, it, it's not curators in the same way that we were used to, like my generation, you know what I mean, where we just bought our newspaper um, and uh, that was it. Somebody, somebody was getting paid big money in Abbey Street or Delir Street or whatever to present this news to me in the in what they thought was the right fashion, the right fashion and the right order, and and to this day, even though, um, and I've had this discussion with Michael McAleer in the Irish Times, even to this day, you know, I like the, I don't buy the Irish Times anymore, but I like the e-paper format, okay. because I flick through it, and this is sort of the yeah. editor, somebody in there. <laughs> has decided this is the way the news is going to be presented and I like to flick through it in that sort of traditional way. That, yeah. I'm consuming it in a different way but I'm, in, in ways I'm consuming it in the same way. So the without a doubt long form journalism is just fading out you know. Because completely. of shorter attention spans the desire for news yesterday rather than the, the you know allowing something to be curated as you say. Yeah, but but now it's curators in you know now we've Google newsfeed curating mm-hmm. news, TikTok is curating news, Facebook is curating news, and it's sort of being presented to us in an algorithm. But then even people my age are sort of saying, "I'm using Spotify now. I'm not sort of taking." LPs no, out of a sleeve and, and, and sort of look, dusting them off, you know, and and putting them on, and then sort of, oh shit, I have to take. I, I'm sort of, you know, what am I in the mood for now? You know, and I call up an artist. And, yeah, do I want elbow, just elbow, or do I want elbow radio or elbow live? Or yeah, you know, and, and and or do I want do I want a podcast? You know, and I just call it up, um, and it's so we're all used to these modern things but just go back to your 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 journalism the other thing as well the big thing of course in 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 our industry is the challenge now that the traditional print journalists have Mm. and this is not just in motoring but and any product pr is that i don't want to i don't want to read about if the consumer is saying i don't really want to read car reviews anymore Mm -hmm. i want to watch them yeah so all of a sudden, out of nowhere, for instance, you know, you have a young uh, DJ in FM 104. Yeah. And he's thousands and thousands of subscribers. He's he's 100,000 views on a review he did on the Kia EV6. I'm, I'm talking for people who don't know. Mark you Noble. Know, Mark Noble, Nobby on yeah. Cars. Nobby on Cars. So all of a sudden... But the modern motoring journalist is now a TV presenter, often a podcast host yeah a photographer a videographer if they have to edit their own videos yes as well as writing and and doing uh the the, the traditional media yeah. and the the one of the particularly if you work for a multinational and you work in the PR industry all of a sudden head offices are now looking for metrics yeah you know who are you bringing yeah. To see us on and that trip. How, how, yeah, they how inf- are they influencers? Are they influencers? You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. I do, what's the metrics? You know, how you not bringing your friends <laughs> <laughs> so you can have a couple of late night drinks uh, with them in never, the bar? I've never, never, never done that. <laughs> right, you're, you're coming towards the end of your, your current career, I'm going to say, yeah. because 
Um, you do plan to retire later in the year. How do you feel about that? Terrified. Why? Terrified. Just it. It's maybe I'm wrong. There's all sort of views. Some people, you know, they talk about you know our work career. Paddy is the 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 second act, and then our retirement is the 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 third act. Yeah. Um. Now, in ways, retirement can be liberating. Some people just say, I'm free, free at last. Yeah, if you hate your job. Yeah, if you hate your job. Now, I sort of like my job. And I, and I like the phone ringing. Um, and uh, so I'm sort of afraid of that. And of course, from an existential point of view, um, retirement is always scary for people because people start talking to you about retirement policies. And the one thing about retirement policies and financial advice and everything is that, if, you know, if, if, they, if they came in a PDF and you did control F mm-hmm. with debt. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking everywhere, you know. It's <laughs> you know what I mean? We expect you to die at such an age, and if you die, and you know when you die, and Mark it's, on this chart. it's yeah. yeah, it's it's everywhere, it's everywhere. You you get these documents that are just um, uh, full of the D word, uh, which is uh, results in another D word, <laughs> depressed. <laughs> uh, so now I'm. But look, do you do you think there's and, and it's slightly off track, but do you think there's something that people associate themselves or identify too, too much with the role that they had as an employee? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, we, we, we you know, it's a trap that loads of people fall into. And, you know, and to a certain extent, it's, it's, it's more so, it's more so with my generation, Baddy, because younger people and you be included in, in, in that you know that have sort of there's more job mobility now mm-hmm. so people don't um, you know sign up for life for life anymore yeah. you well, know that, no, that, that famous no that famous Donovan song you know mm. here's your go watch and the shackles for your chain and a piece of paper to say you left here sane <laughs> <laughs> and what's it and if you have a son who wants a good career just get him to sign on the dotted line and work for 40 years uh, so that's yeah. gone so so I think the younger generation but our generation yes we do define ourselves you know you're you're Bob the Builder you're, yeah I'm this yeah um, you're Bob the Builder yeah. you know um, Pat the Postman mm-hmm. Aiden the the PR a marketing man you know yeah. and and so you sort of say and what am I now um, and that's a big existential challenge you know and there's loads of and to a certain extent you know when we retire we need you know, as I say, you know, you need a financial advisor in your life. Mm-hmm. But in, to some extent, you know, you need a Maureen Gaffney in the in the other corner <laughs> sort of telling you, this yeah, exactly. is, it's going to be great, it's wonderful. Um, and I think it will be wonderful. Um, but yeah, it's, it is scary. And I, don't, I think anyone that tells you otherwise, except for the people, because for some people, there is, if you hate your job, there is oh, a genuine yeah, sense sure. of, of, of liberation, you know, so that the, for them, you know, the last year in their working career can't go fast enough. Yeah. And for the likes of me, probably it's gone just a little bit too, too fast. fast. Okay. But I would see you, I mean, I would see you uh, lecturing. I would see I you teaching. Know. I have a bit of no, no. I, so I don't know. I, 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 again, Michael uh, McAleer gets said something similar to me and I said to him look I'd just be happy if somebody out there thinks I'm 
worth a little bit more than the the minimum wage for um, no, you can't you can't be using the word worth. I, I think I like uh, the Public Relations Institute in Dublin now. I think they would be gl- delighted to have. Well, I look. I'd love to. I I, I do talk a bit. Yeah. So it it, it could uh, it could be a possibility. In terms of whoever comes in behind you, what would be your advice? My advice would be um, be creative. You know, trying. It's not always possible if you're working for a big multinational. You know what I mean. But get as much creativity. Be proud of. Uh, be proud of what you do, and talk to people. You know, talk to the press, talk to the dealers, talk to your colleagues, um, and. I just think in life generally, now we all want to, we all want to be liked. You know what I mean? And uh, it's not always possible. It's not always possible, but but you can start by trying to make yourself likable. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? And that's <laughs> and that is, you know, you never if you don't if you don't take that first step, um, you know, and and you you know you're going to get more out of the people around you. You know that sort of communications framework of all the people you have to deal with. Um, and one of the, you know, one of the big things and probably, and I left it out of that earlier, one of the, the most important things and and it's something I had to learn in life, I have to say, because is we all in, in business have partners, suppliers, people we're buying product from and they are so important in your day-to-day life. Build relationships with them people. You know I mean, because sometimes, you know, even from a practical point of view, you should be giving them uh, three weeks notice to do a job for you. And if you're not nice to those people, that's exactly what you will need to give them. But if you get on with people, you say, oh, Jesus, I should have fucking asked you for this hmm. three weeks ago, but it's happening <laughs> tomorrow. And and that's a lesson in life. I, I think um, just be nice be nice to everyone. It's and, and, sound you know, advice. And, 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 and sound advice. <laughs> that's my advice. My final question, Aidan, is a two-parter. One is professionally, what what were your highlights? And on professionally, how would you like to be remembered? On the marketing side, like King Lear, you know what I mean. And and to paraf- you know, paraphrase by Charlie Hockey. I think in the Where two big going, at the two big brands, you know, I I think I did do the state some. Some service, yes, yes. Um, you know, or did do the company some service? So I'm, I, look, I'm proud of the work I did with Opal as an established brand. Mm. I'm proud to have been part of that whole triumph that was the the sponsorship and have to made some contribution to that. And I'm proud of some of the um, the ads that we made with uh, McCann Erickson at the time and with Kia. I'm proud of the contribution I made, and I'm, I don't want to oversell it because there's so many people. You, you can't know, undersell it either. It's been yeah, a big, I don't, yeah, but yeah, but, but, but but yeah, but the big it is, um, but to a certain extent, the right person, the right time, because it's just it's just such a wonderful company to be involved with because of you know the big thinking in Korea that this these. You know, and it's basically, you know, a very much a family dominated business that this man, you know, Chairman uh, Chung and his, his son, Yusun Chung, they decided, OK, we're going to bring this brand to another place. And they invested big money in terms of product. So it was nice to be part of that journey, yeah. you know, that went from Ikea to Kia and <laughs> um, being... Um, 
European card a year. And I remember saying to, you know, and that even that European card a year, I remember texting one of my colleagues in, in Europe and saying, you know, the thing about European card a year or any card a year, and this is probably not something that's 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 understood, uh, is that to win awards like that, you have to come fifth and sixth and third and fourth mm, yeah. and so second and eventually you will get it. And I'm from, from the PR point of view, I'm sort of associated in that whole Irish car of the year dynamic. And sometimes in a less than um, favourable way, but I, I, I think going back to that advice to people, this is, this is all about relationships and all awards, be it the European Car of the Year Award, the World Car of the Year Award, or any award system, it's always a, a mix of, you know, the product and the communication, you know, that you've, you've got all your ducks in a row and you've given everybody, the Irish Car of the Year, everybody's had an opportunity to drive the cars. Um, and I'm sort of proud of doing my business properly and 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 winning those awards both with uh, with Opel. I think I think with with, with Opel we won three car the Irish car the years when I was in situ and with Kia. Likewise, um, so I'm proud of that. But I'm more proud in in, in the PR sense. I've great pride, you know, that somebody like you, Paddy, could make that introduction at the very start. And put me with a really professional lady like uh, Emma Toner. And there are people in our industry, you know, that just work really well. You know, Pierce in 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 Frank Cullen and Don Hall, and mm-hmm. there there are and people like you, Paddy, in your stint in in Volkswagen, and and Graham Lennox, who's a, in yeah, in, the, yeah. in the VW group. These are all you know really good professionals. And I hope that that's what I've been remembered for. I don't want to be remembered. As a particularly, in terms of me, as a, as a, as a sociable person, I much prefer to be remembered as a, a good professional, being a marketing professional. Or I think that's a given. I think that's a given. You know, yeah. for personally, uh, you know, I, I enjoy uh, enjoyed voting Volkswagen and, and my time as journalist. That every phone call was seldom less than fifty minutes long. So. <laughs> <laughs> we would cover a lo- an awful lot of ground. Those calls will continue, of course. Um, no, but I think I think you've done an amazing service to the to the to the. Uh, you know, people say Ireland doesn't have a motoring industry, but we do. We have a motor retail industry. You've done an amazing service to that industry, and and there's you've made an awful lot of friends, and that will continue. And, and that's that sort of investment from your side doesn't go unnoticed. So you know, I, I, from my point of view, you'll be remembered as someone who. You came away with feeling better than you started, oh, thank you. That's and that's that, that's how I would sum it up. Yeah, you always you always came away from an interaction with you feeling better, and that's that's a that's a great place and to I be. I made, Paddy. It's funny you should say that. You know, um, I've made the same comment about you to people. Oh, well, not not everyone would say that, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say it. Aidan Doyle, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed that chat with Aidan. He's had such a super career and he will be missed, but we'd certainly like to wish him all the best in the future. I really enjoyed that as well. He is such a great storyteller and a fund of information as well. So 
If you would like to read or listen to more of our content, go to the AA blog, the aa.ie forward slash blog. And you will, of course, find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook and TikTok. Please subscribe to the podcast. And until next time, goodbye and be safe.